So this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dream Time. I'm coming to you late night tonight and having a little experiment and making a podcast late at night. This is going to be episode 28. And today's episode is going to be called Post LSD Cary Grant. And... I wrote an essay about this, very short essay on my website, goingquantum.org, a while ago, a couple years ago. But I was talking with a friend yesterday and telling them this story, and they tied some things together um, that I thought I'd share, because I think it's a funny story. There's some good stories here to share, but it's also a little bit of a lineage story. So, the story is that I was talking to a friend about was when I was a child, uh, I, a couple years, when I was around five or six, went to Cary Grant's house before Christmas with my mother. And at that point, Cary Grant was older. There's a photo on the blog, on the podcast tag of him with my mom at this age. He was in his 70s, I think. And my memory of him, having no idea who he was, was that he was just this incredible looking, charismatic, um white-haired, dark-framed man, sort of tan. And, you know, it sort of reminded me of a story a friend told me recently about Mick Jagger. And she was telling me that uh, children get really excited about being around Mick Jagger, even if they don't know who he is. Because children react to charisma. And his go-to line, when children are around and they're excited to be around him, but they don't know why, is, you like chocolate. (laughs) That's my Mick Jagger impression. You like chocolate. And he shares chocolate bars with children. And that's how he relates to them. And, you know, I think that in my experience with Cary Grant, 
people like that, they enjoy the genuine reaction of children who don't know who they are. It probably reminds them of something that made them who they are before who they are was a conventional uh, experience of people having a sense of who they are before they got to them. Anyway, so my mom took me to Carrie Grant's house a couple times right before Christmas. And I was probably five or six or seven. And both years, the first year I got there, he pulled out a box of magic tricks, like kids' magic tricks. And what I remember is he did every trick in the box. So he'd obviously practiced before I came over. And then when he saw how delighted I was by his magic tricks, he gave me the box as a Christmas present. <laughs> and he so enjoyed my reaction to this that he, I think he asked my mom the next year to bring me before Christmas and he did the same thing, but it was a different box. And I'm gonna digress a little and tell you how I ended up in that situation because it's sort of part of my family history and then I'm gonna take it to why it's relevant in today's podcast. So my mom was a very successful author sort of a best-selling author in the 60s and 70s and into some of the 80s, but her peak was probably in the early 70s after she had me. And so the story I was told <clears throat> was that one day, I think it was about 1973, the phone rang and my father picked up the phone and he said, hello. And a voice on the other end of the phone said, is Gwen Davis there? was my mother and my father says she is can I can I mask is calling and the person said it's Cary Grant and my father who was had a pretty good sense of humor went ah Cary Grant and he started doing his uh, Cary Grant impression thinking someone was putting him on so he said well hold on Cary Grant I'll go get her and he was walking through the house going Gwen Cary Grant's on the phone he just called for you doing what he thought was a really funny uh, Cary Grant impression. And my mom went and picked up the phone. And when she picked up the phone, it was Cary Grant who had read one of her novels and liked it so much that he'd gotten in touch with her publisher and gotten her number. And I think that he actually invited her over for tea and uh, she didn't, he didn't live far from where we lived. It was in Coldwater Canyon, I think. And they became fast friends in this really charming way and ran into each other sort of around town. And he was always very warm and incredibly charming as, as, someone, as you imagine someone as he might be. Anyway, so that's what brought me to Cary Grant's house. Uh, before Christmas, but when I was telling this story to someone the other night, I was telling it in the context of explaining how psychedelics had a huge therapeutic history before 
they became democratized in the 1960s and people started using them recreationally that you know between probably 1945 and 1965 50,000 people had been treated with LSD in by psychiatrists and psychologists and in clinics and it had um, it had had wonderful results very successful results and a lot of that's been forgotten with the sort of current climate of people wanting to call psychedelics medicine and people wanting to um, make them this shamanic tool you know I ayahuasca and shamanism and all that sort of stuff but that there was this very clinical successful history of psychedelic use in the 50s and 60s and some of the 40s and one of the people who used LSD therapeutically successfully was Cary Grant who had over a hundred guided LSD sessions in Beverly Hills <laughs> in the 1950s. So why this is so funny, it's funny for a lot of reasons, interesting for a lot of reasons. One, um, if you think about, when you think about psychedelics and you think about the 60s, you know, and Timothy Leary and, you know, sort of psychedelic music and the late 60s and the Vietnam War, Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and, um, the Grateful Dead and all that sort of stuff, but there actually was this whole psychedelic 50s, like Mad Men 50s in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has this long psychedelic history, mostly with LSD. Um, and what was going on in the 1950s was in Beverly Hills, uh, around the corner from the Peninsula Hotel on Lasky Drive, which is on the sort of uh, western boundary of, of Beverly Hills, or I'm sorry, the eastern, no, the western boundary of Beverly Hills, there was a doctor named Mortimer, Hart, Mortimer Hartman who was doing LSD therapy. And it was something that a lot of people in Hollywood were doing, but nobody was doing it with more enthusiasm or uh, speaking about it more than Cary Grant was. And I think that Cary Grant had had a very difficult life up to that point. You know, I think that, uh, you know, it was just complicated with his mother. I think he had to, and he just wasn't very happy. And I think that his LSD sessions um, really transformed him into the happy person he was in his later years because he was very tormented. He was very talented. He was, um, I think he'd been an acrobat in the circus before he came to Hollywood. Um, and he, I remember he had an incredible physical charisma and a wonderful sense of humor that you could see in his movies. So what's interesting about where this was going on besides it was going on in, 1950, in the 1950s Mad Men Los Angeles era was the offices 
the offices where this was going on were across the street um, from my pediatrician when I was a little kid. Now, I, I had that pediatrician 10 years after this happened, and I don't know if it was still going on while I was uh, being seen by a guy named Dr. Herbert Care. It's great, my pediatrician's name was Dr. Care. It was a place I always felt very frightened because there were shots involved and if I was there I was sick but I was across the street from the offices where Mortimer Hartman had treated Cary Grant and uh, many other Hollywood dignitaries I think Aeneas Nin were I mean she's not a Hollywood dignitary but she I think she worked with him and um, I'm trying to think who else there were others I can't recall them right now there's a story there's a great uh, article it's a Vanity Fair article called Carry in the Sky with Diamonds. And I read it a few years ago. And one of the things I remember is in um, Cary Grant's will, he left more and more Hartman um, $10,000. And he said he left it to his Mahatma. Um, but there's also a wonderful movie called Becoming Cary Grant that is from his LSD journals that um, I think it was at Con in 2018 that's well worth seeing as well if this interests you. Um, but Cary Grant was so enthusiastic about LSD that he wrote an article, he wrote a, he wrote a testimonial about it in Life Magazine, I think in 1957, around there. And also the person who was the publisher of Life Magazine, a guy named Henry Booth Luce. I'm, I'm recalling these details from memory, so I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. I have a pretty good memory. Um, the publisher of Life Magazine was also an LSD enthusiast at this time. <laughs> so they were, they were all doing LSD before it had any real psychedelic connotations. It was just seen as a tool and, you know, they often talked about it in psychoanalytic terms and about how it revealed the unconscious and um, dismantled the ego. And um, if you watch that film, Cary Grant thought it was incredibly profound, and he must have because he did it a hundred times. Um, and the fact that, you know, my initial pediatrician was across the street was coincidence maybe and maybe not because I really do believe in this uh, in the way that it was being practiced you know where the person just sat with the person undergoing the experience and they weren't a shaman they were somebody who was educated in psychology or psychiatry and they just supported them through the experience and there was none of the affectation that you find in the modern psychedelic world where, where people want to hear acaros and they want to play instruments and sometimes the uh, practitioners themselves take psychedelics during the experience which to me is kind of absurd and ridiculous um, and just is for people who like to do psychedelics and want an excuse to do it. Um, so when I was telling this person, this friend of mine, this story about the magic show that 
Cary Grant put on for me a couple for a couple of years. She said, "Well, he was sharing his magic with you." <laughs> and it really made me feel like I had been part of this experience somehow because he was a changed man. He was a joyful, warm, open, you know, older man. I think it's easy for people to be open to children, especially if children are enchanted by them. But I but he was really kind of spectacular in his own way. Now, he also, and this is one of my favorite quotes and stories, and I tend to think that this story is psychedelically influenced, that this is something that he experienced um, in his psychedelic usage, although I, I can't be sure. Um, and the story is, is that Cary Grant was at dinner uh, I think it was, the story was at Chasen's, which is this old Los Angeles restaurant. And this man came up to him and he said, excuse me, Mr. Graham, I just have to tell you that every time I see Cary Grant in a movie, I think to myself, I wish I was Cary Grant. To which Cary Grant replied, you know, I have the exact same experience <laughs> which I think was incredibly insightful and that there was a lot of humility in it and a lot of um, understanding of projection of how people projected onto him and who he actually was. And I just, thought, I just always thought that was such a profound thing to say. And there's sort of a companion quote to that that I'll tell because it's also psychedelically... Um, informed and in a different way and it, it's another story like that and the story is is that in the early 1990s uh, a Rolling Stone writer was on tour with the Grateful Dead at a time when you know, they'd be playing in football stadiums and there'd be as many people outside the stadiums trying to get in or being part of the scene as there were inside the stadiums. And he, I think he travels with Jerry Garcia for a week. And he said to him, he said, at the end of the week, he said, you know, I'm amazed because wherever you go, you are treated with such reverence. And I think that the writer had also written an article on the Dalai Lama and he had seen very little difference between how the Dalai Lama was received and how Jerry Garcia was received wherever he went. And the writer said, you know, um, I've seen now for a week how you are treated by people and how revered you are and how excited they are to see you. And it's amazing to me because I've also seen in the week that you really have genuine humility. And Jerry Garcia looked at him and said, well, if you were me all the time, you'd have a lot of humility too. <laughs> and I think that both these quotes um, speak to uh, 
the kind of relative nature of your ego and the kind of ability to laugh at yourself that psychedelics can offer to people. Whatever else their struggles are or whatever their misunderstandings are or whatever their difficulties are that these experiences offer a relief from self-importance and a relief from narcissism if experienced correctly. Anyway, so that was my little story. I hope people enjoy it. Um, it made me feel, when the person pointed out to me yesterday that he had shared his magic with me and I'd known about that area and that time and um, being across the street during my uh, early days from those offices, I thought it was a nice little um, tie-in to what I'm doing now and where I am now and that maybe things are not as random as they seem and though and being at that uh, pediatrician's office and seeing uh, Cary Grant doing magic tricks and uh, helping people now may not be random all right, I hope everybody enjoyed this. This was a short, entertaining one, I hope. I was aspiring to be entertaining. Um, and this is Robert Mitchell at High Tide in the Dreamtime. And if you want to see this essay, you can see it at goingquantum.org. Take care.
sad, deserted shore. Your fickle friends are.